sometimes what is scary about the monster is not its difference and its otherness, but the fact that it's actually similar. So sometimes what is terrifying about uh, others is not their otherness, but their sameness. Okay. Okay. One, two, ready, go. Welcome to the Called to be Bad podcast. My name is Mariah Martin, and I feel called to be bad. It turns out I'm not the only one. Join us as we dig into all things bad, scandalous, deviant, you know, the stuff that makes good church folks squirm in the sanctuary. Why? Well, because sometimes the scandalous is spiritual, deviant is divine, and bad is beautiful. Say yes to the call and let's see what holy trouble we get into today. Hi, Safwat. Hi, Mariah. Hi, everyone. Yeah. Welcome to Call to Be Bad. Thank you. It's good being with you and good seeing you again, Mariah. Yeah. So um, this is Safwat Marzouk. Uh, he was my professor at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, and he has now moved on to other pursuits. And so I'm going to let him uh, introduce himself and tell you about those pursuits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I'm really excited about uh, this uh, time and conversation. Um, so my name is Safwat Marzouk. And now I am an associate professor of Old Testament at Union Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. And uh, today we are going to talk about monster theory or monster studies and, and where they line up with uh, biblical studies, which is not something I'm interested in at all. So, um <laughs> Yeah, your excitement. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm trying to contain myself. It's not working very well. <laughs> yes. um, and I think puns puns are welcome since we're talking about monsters. You cannot tame yes the monstrous excitement about talking about monsters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think puns and monsters will uh, yeah. will be natural and sometimes <laughs> unnatural <laughs> and sometimes and sometimes supernatural. So. <laughs> sometimes supernatural. Oh man. Um, so uh, before we dig into all things monsters, um, what are you drinking today, Safwat? Right now I'm drinking water. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I had enough coffee for this morning and I think okay. uh, water will uh, be a good suitable drink for this monstrous episode that we're about to record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, so um, I have a mug with, um, like, witches and, and vampires and all sorts of things. And nice. in it, I have a hybrid or um, I, a monster version, maybe it would be like a chimera. I don't know. Um, so I have, I don't know, it's it's coffee and, and chai tea. So it's not, it's not that crazy but uh it's a mixed coffee. drink it's a mixed drink because i was like yeah monsters hybrids i think too much about this stuff so yes <laughs> so that's what i am drinking today hello beloved baddies a quick break to tell you that this episode is sponsored by the center for art humor and soul a nonprofit that supports and amplifies the voices of edgewalkers through art that catalyzes change laughter that brings us together, and soul awakening to the creative spark within us. 
The support from the Center for Art, Humor, and Soul has meant the world to this podcast. So I highly encourage you to check out their website, arthumorandsoul.com, to see their other featured artists and projects. If you want to support the podcast, you can check out our Patreon or get in touch. Now I'll let you get back to this episode of Called to be Bad. Um, So diving into monster theory... um, can you explain what exactly that is and and what is its relationship with biblical studies? How do the two overlap? Um, yeah. And, and maybe we'll get into like, what is a monster? So, yeah, all absolutely. Things. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, monster theory is, or monster studies is, um, I would say an interdisciplinary field because it draws onto different, from different disciplines. Uh, like literature, his, historical studies, uh, anthropology, sociology, psychology, all of that that um, um, may contribute to understanding the phenomenon of monstrosity. What makes the monster a monster? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can imagine historical studies would try to look at um, different circumstances, uh, economic, political uh, and so on that have contributed over a long period of time for the birth of different monsters and uh, the life of these monsters uh, and how they evolved over a long period of time. Um, anthropological and sociological and psychological studies try to uh, get into um, what makes humans imagine monsters mm. um, and um, what makes the monster a monster from... Um, social aspect, uh, how uh, humans relate to one another, and anthropological aspect, uh, why would we call human beings monstrous? Uh, So what makes a human human, and what makes uh, people not count as human? And also psychological aspect, because lots of monster studies focus on the emotions and the feelings that are um, associated with uh, the creation of monsters or encountering monsters or um, taming monsters. So mm-hmm. em- emotions of fear and encountering what is uh, different. Um, um, all of these different layers then contribute to what we might call a monster theory or monster studies. And of course, then studying literature would make sense uh, because uh, lots of literature has been written that integrates uh, different monsters and uh, or even constructs different monsters to the readers uh, within the worldview that uh, the literature is creating. Um, in you, you want to say something? No, no, go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, like how this connects to biblical studies uh, is because surprisingly, we have monsters in the Bible, (laughs) Uh, which is, um, you know, uh, something that uh, interpreters have uh, paid attention to for a long time. But I think uh, we are now in a place where we uh, are also able to converse with these other disciplines that I just mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, uh, with an attempt and a desire to understand what these monsters that we have in the biblical traditions reveal about God, reveal about God's relationship with the world, and what made these monsters monsters in the biblical traditions. Um, uh, Yeah, and lots of theological studies also draw on this 
if we have monsters in the Bible, if uh, monsters have to do with how we understand ourselves and how we understand the other, um, then it would be natural to ask how then uh, this um, monster studies help us to think theologically about what makes humans humans mm -hmm. and how do we um, work with our emotions of fear and how do we uh, reflect on whom we are called to be in relation to those who are unfamiliar mm. that sometimes kind of become constructed as uh, the monsters that um, we tend to alienate in our lives. Yeah, I think in... Um... Uh, so Safwa sent me a paper, uh, an article that he wrote uh, called Monstrous Empires and the Kingdom of God. What do monsters reveal about the empire? And I think in that paper, you quote someone um, saying that like they define monsters as anything that's not us or not me. Is that was that right? Am I remembering correctly? Yeah. Yeah. So um, for us. the most part. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, when people think of what a monster is, it's 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 the other, it's the uh, unfamiliar, it's the abnormal, and uh, that in itself, that language assumes that there is a norm, mm. assumes that there is something familiar, and therefore any one or any entity or any creature that does not fit within what has been assumed or accepted by a person or by a community as normal and as familiar then becomes monstrous, becomes this other, this uh, scary, frightening entity or creature that is in some ways threatening what has been assumed to be normal or familiar. But that's one understanding of what monsters is. Okay. And it's, it's, a, it's a very common understanding. And um, then that 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 idea on an entity, an identity of the monster, is usually communicated um, in their through their body or their behavior. So monsters um, may have many heads, where we don't usually see uh, creatures with many heads uh, on day-to-day -day, uh, experiences, or they are hybrid, as you were uh, mentioning earlier. They have uh, many heads and many wings and legs of cattle and, you know, uh, horns and things like that. So hybridity also, because it's something that we don't always see. Um, so the body of the monster then um, uh, becomes a signifier of what they stand in for. They stand in for this otherness, this the, the abnormal and the unfamiliar. But at the same time, these monsters sometimes cross uh worlds mm. right so when uh, when we think of identity also as something that has tight boundaries and clear and rigid uh, boundaries that defines what is in what's out then anything that crosses these boundaries becomes monstrous because it does not sit and settle in one rigid identity right so sometimes maybe what's scary about zombies is that they have crossed the world of the dead and the world of the living, mm -hmm. right? So you have this 
this idea of are they dead or are they alive? And if they are alive, why aren't they uh, like us or behaving in this way? And why when they, you know, bite someone, they turn them into zombies as well. But if they are dead, then why are they walking? Why are they, you know, coming out of the ground to scare and terrify those who assume that they are living? So this idea of otherness, and then that communicated uh, in the way the monster is constructed and portrayed in the body and the way it behaves, that's one understanding. But some one thing I discuss in that essay, and I also discuss it in my book on Egypt as a monster in the book of Ezekiel, is that sometimes what is scary about the monster is not its difference and its otherness, but the fact that it's actually similar. So sometimes what is terrifying about uh, others is not their otherness, but their sameness. The otherness is a way that uh, we try to uh, abject and reject and uh, distance ourselves from this other. Mm -hmm. So sometimes what what we may want to reflect on when we think of a monster is 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 otherness, uh, um, some sort of muddying the water of sameness. Hmm. It's an attempt to reject that there is a shared and common identity. I, I think um, Freud talks about the unheimlich, which is the unhomely. And the unhomely is something that is inside the house, <laughs> right? All is coming from inside the house. Yeah, right. So uh, it's it's the most familiar safe space, but it but does not belong to it. That's why it's called unhomely. Hmm. But it's so, and you think about like lots of um, uh, horror movies and uh, horror shows. Usually, the what is what's terrifying is not always out there in like in in the woods and unfamiliar places. Although that happens, mm-hmm. right? But the, but sometimes they come out of the closet, yeah, um, or the basement. Uh, so things that people have tried to repress. Uh, so so there is a lot in monster studies that we can also connect with the Bible and theology in in some ways. Uh, which we might get to, um, um, that is not just about otherness, although that, that's there, because sometimes the, this otherness turns into violence, right? Mm-hmm. Where we otherize other people and we try to act violently against them, either by trying to control them or normalize them uh, or civilize them, as the you know colonialism and imperialism tries to do. Um, or we violently uh, try to get rid of these people. Uh, or these monsters, although maybe there is more common with them than what we are um, assuming. And maybe it's our fear of what is common with them because we want to construct a pure identity over against someone that then we monsterize them, that we make monsters out of them. Yeah. Um, it's reminding me a little bit of uh, Beauty and the Beast about how this they other this beast, but like he's he's a man on the inside. He's just like he's just like 
everybody else and doesn't, you know, he's not, not as monstrous as he may seem. Um, it also uh, makes me think of, uh, are you familiar, uh, and I should have looked this up beforehand because I, we'll see if I get it right, but are you familiar with the idea of the uncanny valley? No. Okay. So if I say, I'll, I'll correct in the description if I say it wrong, but the the uncanny valley is this idea where um, it's like this, this like uh, graph of creepiness or, or uh, something that might unsettle someone. Mm-hmm. And the idea is the closer it is to what we perceive as normal or like maybe symmetrical features or, um, yeah, human-like, the closer it is to human-like or normal, um, the, the creepier it is. So, like, when you think of um, horror films, like, what I find scary isn't, or creepy, isn't necessarily this, like, otherworldly monster that doesn't resemble, you know, anything that we might see in in, in real life in the natural world. Mm-hmm. But what is creepy is, like, if there's, a, there's someone with a human normal-looking face, but their smile is just slightly too big, you know, and it just, like, distorts <laughs> human-like yes. or normal features um yeah so kind of playing with the like what is scary is it the sameness or is it the difference the otherness um and 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 is it scary because it's revealing something inside of us that we don't we don't want to see or something in our family like you were talking about like within the house like sometimes it's like your child that is actually possessed or you know um yeah so there is that i mean um this idea of um you know sameness and difference i think is is crucial because it helps us then to ask ourselves what makes the monster a monster Mm. and what do we do with difference and um um because sometimes we want we, we want to get rid of difference but as we do that um is it really difference that marks the other or is it also sameness mm. that we might portray them in this way because we have shared goals or um, uh, shared interests. And that's why, because, because we feel threatened by that uh, shared uh, desire that then we try to m- make a monster out of them. Mm. Um, so uh, René Girard talks about uh, the double and the monster are one and the same. Mm. And he talks about it in, using this idea of mimetic desire. And we, we, I mean, like we see it, uh, <laughs> you know, like there, if, if there is a toy lying on the ground and there are two children, that toy becomes, uh, a, um, you know, the point of attention of uh, child B if child A holds it. Uh, then becomes there is become there is a shared desire towards that object, and so there is sameness. But then there is uh, possibly violence that will happen and and othering because of that shared um, um, identity and shared desire over one object. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, this idea helped me uh, if we want to connect a little bit with biblical traditions. Helped me a lot in my work on why Egypt is portrayed as a monster in the book of Ezekiel. Mm. 
Um, Can I so, jump in real fast and, and say something about the double or that that you were? Oh yeah, about absolutely. There? Yes. Well, it, it just reminds me of a trope in horror films of of the double, um, like in Jordan Peele's movie Us. Um, it's like the there there's like a clone. I haven't seen it, but the idea is that there's like this clone of the family, and it's like okay, who's the real family and who's the like imposter um, or like taking over a body. How it's yes. like it's like the same, but anyways, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, they're like uh, you know, um, films and uh, horror shows, and you know, have you know um, employed these ideas of the question around what's familiar and what's not familiar, mm -hmm. the otherness of the monster. Because I, I don't want to completely give up on the idea of the otherness of the monster. Because like, mm -hmm. if we use the word also. Uh, to talk about um, otherness, to capture uh, something that is um, is in some ways evil, mm. <laughs> right? Uh, that uh, and I know this is a very loaded term, and I don't use it uh, lightly. Um, um, but but when um, you know uh, historical events of uh, take place of that dehumanizes others that. Uh, destroys their lives and we see this happen all over the place in our world uh, in different periods where people abuse their power and that is monstrous uh, that that needs to be otherized <laughs> that that should not be uh, normalized and accepted right um, but then the the fear of just emphasizing the otherness of the monster is when those who are in power monster 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 size uh, or make monsters of the powerless ones and uh you know as a way of as a way of uh justifying violence against them as a way of justifying colonialism or um, um control of some sort um so this raises a very important question in relation to sameness and difference, what makes the monster a monster, and also in relation to power. Mm. Who uses the trope of monster uh, or the idea of monster and for what purpose? So sometimes the idea of monster is used to justify colonialism and empire. Mm. These unfamiliar, monstrous people that are uncivilized and then they get drawn in, in, in particular images. We know this very well from medieval art. Uh, when, uh, you know, uh, explorers go to the other world and start com coming back or people even who haven't traveled and they just hear the stories and they, they, they start draw these others as monsters with no head and the head is on the chest and, you know, heads on the knees and you, there are lots of, Medieval art that's like that, that is monstrosity to control the other. That's different than um, other uh, monstrous uh, aspects uh, that is actually used in order to expose uh, colonialism and used to expose, um, you know, um, projected fear, fear that is not warranted. Uh, fear of uh, those who are sexually different, uh, fear of uh, people who are ethnically different or racially different, 
uh, it's it's a projected fear that is that needs to be deconstructed, needs to be um, um, you know uh, critiqued and exposed and dismantled mm-hmm. because it's it's used by the the powerful in order to control the powerless and the marginalized. So, so the idea different. of sameness and, and otherness then invite us to think about the place of power yeah. and uh, whether this monster is being created in order to, to control the other or in order to um, um, resist uh, the empire and colonialism, which connects with some biblical uh, aspects that... Uh, I'm happy to explore at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm dying to get into the biblical aspect, um, but before we jump in there, I'm curious um, where, how you got interested in this topic, and do you have any like um, stories or examples from your life of like where where this kind of was rooted in, or is this just purely, you know, like academic exercise or, you know, yeah. what's kind of the heart <laughs> of this monstrous learning for you? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be very open and frank here that, sure. uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I am easily terrified <laughs> person. Okay. So, so, you know, I, for example, rodents terrify me. (laughs) So, yes, uh, I have lots of stories about being, you know, chased by, you know, a mouse or being terrified of a mole and, you know, being like mowing the lawn in my house in Indiana. And, you know, I see this small creature that's creeping, you know, and I leave the mower and call my daughter (laughs) <laughs> who is seven-year-old <laughs> Callista, you know, has come. I've, I don't know what this creature is. <laughs> and, you know, uh, so as much as, like, I love monster studies and, you know, get into it, maybe maybe I'm trying to deal with my own fears. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. You know, of monsters that are, you know, in the form of rodents. Of the uh, form of cute little fuzzy creatures. Yes, yes, you call them that. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> You're like, those are your words, not mine. <laughs> yes, your words, That's not mine. so funny. Um, so I got into monsters uh, studies and reflecting on them theologically because I, I'm, you know, growing up in Egypt, I became interested in the portrayal of Egypt in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I started to uh, narrow down my interest on how Egypt is portrayed in the Bible was by looking at why Egypt is portrayed as a monster in the book of Ezekiel. So I wrote my dissertation on that. And I noticed when I was doing that, that um, not many scholars have uh, looked into monster theory to deal and try to understand what makes a monster a monster in relation to biblical studies. Mm. Uh, There there were other scholars. So um, uh, Amy Kalmanovsky at uh, the Jewish Theological Seminary was working on uh, monstrosity in the book of Jeremiah and the experience of the exile and mm-hmm. even how God uh, beca- uh, comes across in some ways monstrous uh, to the people who are experiencing um, exile. So we were kind of like in conversation uh, at that time. That was uh, around 2007. Um, and then I started to get uh, more into um, monster studies and what makes the monster a monster. Um, and um, um, I have not done a lot of work on monsters in a while, 
but I'm coming back to it, teaching a course in the spring on monsters and empires uh, in um, the Bible and popular culture. Um, so it was kind of like getting into monster studies for um, another reason. But then I started to see how significant and crucial it is for us to um, think about what makes the monster a monster in biblical traditions, because it connects with uh, two fundamental pieces that I think are crucial about what the Bible is. One is um, um, who God is, God who creates these tananim, which is used in Genesis 1, which means it turns it as dragons uh, or monsters mm -hmm. uh, that are part of God's creation. Um, then when God responds to Job, uh, God in God's speech, God talks about um, Leviathan and Behemoth, mm -hmm. two other mythical monsters. Then when we look at the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 talks about monsters that are coming out of the water. And uh, the book of Revelation talks about uh, the dragon, again, monstrous uh, portrayal of uh, powers of evil that persecute the faith community. Uh, but then you also have Egypt is portrayed as a monster in the book of Ezekiel. And part of my work there was, um, which connects with the second layer of why thinking about monster theology and monster studies in relation to theology in the Bible becomes important. It's not just about how God tames chaos or relates to chaos or whether chaos is part of the created world that God has created, mm -hmm. but also how um, the people of God in uh, the biblical traditions, Israel and the church, relate to the empire, relate to others. So um, thinking about monsters is an invitation for us to think about our place as human beings in relation to God, mm. the creator of this universe uh, that did not get rid of chaos when God created the world, but tamed it, put it, put it in check. And that chaos sometimes is unleashed, uh, and uh, we all experience it, and uh, we all experience monstrous experiences in our lives that are horrific, that are traumatic, so how does God relate to that? But then the other layer, how do we enter the biblical narrative that speaks about God's people in relation to those who are deemed monsters? Mm -hmm. How do we um, um, seek a way in which we are uh, able to expose um, violence that is done? Um, how we are called to uh, be accountable? for the power that we may have, how we are called for um, creating together uh, a new way, a new path with people with whom we might have shared identity more than what we imagine. Sometimes we think about ourselves with this uh, purity identity. Mm -hmm. And then, so it connects with the idea of sameness. Uh, but when, when we think about the idea of purity, then we want to reject something in order to uh, um, say that we are we have a pure identity. We want to get rid of that other. While if we look closely, there might be uh, shared sameness. 
where um, we might find commonality with others around us more than uh, what we try to project. Mm -hmm. this, not, this doesn't mean we lose uh, you know, a sense of boundaries or a sense of identity, but it also invites us to think about the process through which we project an otherness on those who are around us thinking that we want to do that because we can create a rigid identity. Mm. So rather than thinking about identity that is porous, that is an unfinished project, that is not constructed over against the other, but in relation to the other. So for me, this idea of thinking about monsters in relation to the Bible and in relation to theology is an invitation for us to think about the world that God has created that uh, is not perfect, it's good, but it's not perfect, and chaos still exists, mm -hmm. and how God relates to that. The second layer is how we as faith communities Think about those whom we otherize, those whom we call monsters, or those whom we try to make them fluffy creatures, but they are monsters. So if you think about Sesame Street now, uh, I love Sesame Street. My kids grew up watching Sesame Street. <laughs> um, but you have Elmo and, you know, Cookie Monster and all of these uh, fun characters mm -hmm. are also monsters. So it's, it's, it's a way in which it's trying to tackle the point of otherizing the monster, which is a very important aspect. I think it's really crucial to, to um, investigate why a monster is called a monster. But it's but the 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 the, concern, the other concern that I might have is uh, whether we are not also training the young ones to discern, right? To to also realize that there are people who make bad choices. Maybe they are not evil. Maybe they in themselves they are not uh, horrible individuals, but they cause horror in the world they cause terror in the world so how do we how do we discern yeah that's, so maybe... that's also an invitation for for us as a faith community when we think about the category of monster yeah yeah so it it feels like a big distinction between saying like if you're talking about like sesame street like Maybe the difference isn't necessarily like these are good monsters and these are bad monsters, which is making me think of like Monsters, Inc. also, the movie. Yes. Um, that feels different to like rather than applying like the, the, this person, these people are a monster. Like that is the core of who they are, the core of their identity yes. versus like all humans have the capacity for making terrible choices, monstrous choices. We all kind of have that like monster inside of us. Does that, is that, does that distinction, is that kind of what you're getting at? Yes. It's, and, it's a, and it's power not, plays a role in, 
in that process. Yeah, uh, I like the way you're putting it too, because it it helps us to, um, I mean, it's finding that common ground, mm. uh, but not to make a monster out of it. So it's not something that is uh, terrifying that we have common humanity, right? Mm. Um, but at the same time, it's it what you're the way you're describing it is that we also have the capacity as human beings through our actions uh, to do something horrific or monstrous to others around us. The other point that I was trying to get at uh, that your summary didn't touch on is um, the point of discernment, mm -hmm. and this is where the whether Sesame Street or Monster Inc. or um, other aspects because again you know the word monster in English comes from the Latin uh, I think monstrare which means two things it means to reveal something mm -hmm. to demonstrate something and it means to warn reveal demonstrate warn and warning war like to warn about something yeah right so 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 it it's getting at these two layers of what does the monster reveal about those who are creating it what does a monster reveal about god who combats a monster <laughs> what does a monster warn against when when a monster is is portrayed so the the point that that I think connects with um, what we're trying to wrestle with here is we, we discern why this monster is called a monster. Is it is it is it an a, a, an abuse of power that uh, is projecting uh, unreal fear on these communities, and that needs to be dismantled. Uh, Sesame Street and Monster Inc. is very helpful in exposing how sometimes the other is just called the monster mm -hmm. for no reason other than they are just different. Yeah. Other than they have been named unnatural and abnormal based on what has been assumed to be the norm by those who possess power. So they are very helpful in exposing that because lots of powerless people have been portrayed as monsters for no good reason. Mm -hmm. This is where Elmo and Cookie Monster and Monster Inc. are very helpful to tame the tendency where people abuse their power and call others just monsters for no good reason. But on the other end, we see uh, horrific acts by those who have power, whether economic or political or military, uh, and they abuse that power. So that is monstrous. That needs to be named as such. Yeah. Uh, without, you know, like having to demonize and send people to hell. But at the same time, to name it, to name the monstrous act that is being done. To name it as monstrous, as horrific. Yes, um, that's some, something that we wanted to be tamed. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, I remember in seminary, I don't remember what class it was, but you totally flipped a switch in my brain when you said, how am I, how am I as an Egyptian supposed to read the Exodus story? How am, you know, where do I locate myself in this? And, and, and what do I do with the plagues? You know, what do I do with the idea of, of Egypt as monster? And I was like, I was blown away. It totally flipped on its head. The idea of biblical, like good guys or bad guys, or like, it just made it all seem so much more real. And I've used that story in sermons when I'm preaching on, mm. <laughs> on the Exodus event. Yes. Um, so that's one thing. And I, and I do want to, want to go and hear about that. And then I also, at some point when we can circle back, but I, I want to talk about like the, the biblical monsters and when are they metaphors and is there an appropriate time to view them as literal beings as like, like, are they portrayed as literal monsters? Like in, like in uh, Genesis, I think they talk about the, the Nephilim, um, that, that, that there are like these beings that are like half angel, half human, and they're like giant. And I read a book series that is basically based off of that, at, like that there are these like Nephilim creatures, yes. Yes. um, that kind yeah. of like battle demons anyways. Um, so I don't know if that kind of shifts us in a biblical direction. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's, it's, um, I'm happy to talk about the Bible and monsters, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I mean, kind like, of my I mean, cup of tea. Yeah, and and that's kind of like um, what what we have been talking about was um, uh, part of the kind of those bulbs that laid in my head yeah. too as I started to think about the biblical traditions in relation to monsters, yeah. and it ties with my interest in um, theological reflection that always asks about uh, self understanding and how it connects to understanding God. And how it how it also shapes understanding the other, and vice versa. It's this dynamic between self understanding, understanding who God is, mm. and understanding the other. All of that is crucial, and there there are deep connections with monster theory because of um, monsters talks about this ide- idea of self understanding in relation to the other as well. So back to the point about Egypt, um, and I, I promised to connect it with this other point that I was just making, mm-hmm. I always ask myself how I entered the biblical narrative. And it's, it's my, my, like when I enter the biblical narrative and read through the lens of the Egyptians uh, is, is, is a way of holding myself accountable when I have power, mm-hmm. but also a space where um, I ask, how does this portrayal of Egypt as the powerful empire relate to my experiences as a minoritized Christian Egyptian. Um, So this this power uh, flip, this power um, experiences, the one that is portrayed in the biblical narrative that is different from how I experience what it means to be a Christian Egyptian and so on, that um, becomes really crucial then for, for all of us, when we read biblical traditions that talks about God's people and God and monsters, mm. are we the monsters, <laughs> right? Um, are we the persecuted people of God? Or are we the ones who possess power? And maybe the text, if we turn it enough, 180 degrees, is actually calling us 
monsters mm. um, uh, because the way we abuse our power, because we alienate others, because we subjugate others to our powers. Um, so this idea that you raise, Moray, about how um, we enter the biblical narrative can be related to think about monsters by asking ourselves when we read biblical texts, biblical traditions that talk about monsters, we tend to think that monster, the monster is that other over there and we are the, the, Isra the Israelites who are persecuted by these monsters, by these empires. We are the early church that is persecuted. But if we inspect closely, we might actually uh, not be persecuted. <laughs> we might actually be almost the monsters that are, you know, dispossessing others of their power and uh, alienating others and uh, persecuting others. So again, how we enter the biblical narrative becomes a crucial way to reflect and think about uh, the way um, we use our power for the sake of justice or we abuse our power to alienate and to do injustice in the world. To hear the full conversation, tune into the next episode of Called to be Bad. Here's a preview of what's to come in part two. And this is where it's really interesting to pay attention to where and when the language of monsters appear in the biblical traditions. They mostly appear in times when the prophets, the psalmists, the seer, in the, like in the book of Revelation, or Daniel they are experiencing persecution and trauma. That's all for this episode of Called to be Bad. Keep being your bad, beautiful selves, and I will see you next time.